The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Can the markets make it two in a row after a rough start to the year? Investors ignoring Jay Powell on Tuesday and sending stocks higher. The White House desperate to keep schools open around America and address a major COVID testing shortfall. But is it all too little too late? The company formerly known as Facebook adding a new voice to its independent board of directors. But will it be enough to challenge founder Mark Zuckerberg at push comes the shove? Tracking the recent weakness in Bitcoin. Why one insider says what happens in January stays in January. And later on, digging into Congress's massive conflict of interest and a new push to prevent lawmakers from trading stocks. It is Wednesday, January 12th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. We've got a lot to do, so let us jump right in on this busy Wednesday. Stock futures, well, they're not giving us a lot of direction about which way they're going to go today. This after a nice run yesterday. We are a little bit in the green. And remember, at this hour, futures, I'd love to tell you that they're going to tell you everything, but that is not the case. Very low volume. They can be very volatile as well. Take it always with a grain of salt, but there's your trade, slightly in the green right now. This after the NASDAQ posted its single best day since before Christmas, rising about one and one half percent. The S&P also snapping a five-day losing streak for its best day since all the way back on December 27th. Now, interest rates, they have maybe been the market story so far this year, up pretty big. Well, not yet, but that is helping the financials. In fact, the financials coming off a record close. We talked a lot about the banks with guys like Anton Schutz, etc. over the past year or so. Well, the financials are finally starting to perform up nearly 6% so far this year. All right, speaking of rates, the 10-year yield doing something it hasn't done much this year. Not move at all. It has been on the move. It's up 15% so far this year. Not this morning, though. The 10-year yield pretty much flat right at 175%. What is on the move, though, is crude oil. And crude oil back above 80 bucks a barrel. Keep an eye on crude. If it rises above 85, that'll be the highest mark for crude oil in America in eight years. We're not there right now. We're at 81,838. But still, the, the path of crude in the last few days and weeks has certainly been to the upside. All right, there's also a lot of attention this morning on inflation with the December Consumer Price Index out at 8.30 a.m., the CPI taking on a whole new importance lately. Economists looking for a year-over-year increase of 5.4% X food and energy, including food and energy because we believe you probably eat and drive. They're looking for a CPI posting an annual gain of 7%. Folks, that is a massive number, and it would be the largest number since the early 1980s. The cost for nearly everything is higher We'll see how that CPI comes in 
It's at 8.30 a.m. New York time. All right, in the meantime, let's get a check on what is happening in the early trade in Europe. And for that, as always, Juliana Tottlebaum live in our London newsroom. Juliana. Brian, good morning. So European equities are on the move this morning, and they are on the move higher. We've got green across the board, building on yesterday's gains. The stock 600 yesterday broke a three-day losing streak, and the positive momentum continues today. So we've got the CAC 40 over in France, up about seven-tenths of a percent. More gains for the German index, which outperformed yesterday. And here in the U.K., FTSE 100 trading about eight-tenths of a percent higher. From a sector perspective, this is what the picture looks like. Part of the reason the FTSE 100 is uh, outperforming this morning is the basic resources sector is outperforming a very heavily weighted toward this basket of stocks. We're up nearly 3%. Technology, oil and gas also holding up well. Insurance and healthcare underperforming. Now we've got a few um, big movers from a single stock perspective I want to highlight for you. Starting with Philips. Shares have plunged this morning after the company warned fourth quarter sales will miss expectations by around 350 million euros. Supply shortages and a mass recall in its ventilators unit hit the Dutch health group. On the flip side, team viewer shares are soaring, as the firm says it expects fourth quarter total billings to come in 20% higher on the year. The German software company expects full year billings to come in at 548 million euros. That's in line with guidance. And finally, in the auto space, let me take you to BMW and Volkswagen. BMW and Volkswagen have reported their full year sales this morning. BMW recorded a record 2.21 million sales for 2021. That's up over 9% from the previous year and more than double its sales of fully electric vehicles globally. But a different story for Volkswagen. VW deliveries dropped 8.1% last year to just under 4.9 million. Brian, we'll hand it back over to you. All right, Juliana Tatabom, you can see very a mixed trade there. Juliana, thank you very much. All right, meantime, back home here, the White House unveiling a new COVID testing push this morning. It is all part of another effort to keep schools open for students and teachers. This is just over 3,000 public schools mostly here in the Northeast and in Chicago, have gone virtual or shut down. That is according to the latest data from Burbio. All this comes after the White House spent $12 billion taxpayer dollars last March to, quote, ramp up testing and reopen schools. Many no doubt wondering where the money went. All right, Silvana Hanau is here now more with the details. Silvana, good morning. Brian, good morning. Yeah, breaking right now. The Biden administration is taking new actions to increase access to COVID-19 testing in schools around the country with the aim of increasing the number of tests available to schools by 10 million per month. This as part of the effort, the White House plans to distribute 5 million free rapid tests to K through 12 schools each month. It will also set aside lab capacity to support an additional 5 million PCR tests per month. The Department of Education and CDC will also work with states to liaise between schools and local testing providers. Goldman Sachs is cutting its 2022 forecast for Chinese economic growth to 4.3 percent, down from an earlier 4.8 percent estimate. Goldman citing Beijing's ongoing efforts to contain COVID-19 outbreaks and their impact on business activity within the country. The bank says consumption will likely be affected most by the restrictions. And Facebook parent Meta Platforms is appointing DoorDash CEO Tony Zhu to its board of directors. The move marks the company's first board addition since early 2020 and could help what critics call a board that lacks independence. Zhu's appointment also marks the first change to the board since the company rebranded itself as Meta back in October. Brian? All right, Savannah now, and we'll see you for trending stories in a few minutes, Savannah. Thank you you very much. 
All right. All right, let's get back now to the markets because investors kind of shrugging off comments from Fed Chair Jay Powell on Tuesday. He testified on the Hill that high inflation poses a threat to the American job market. To get the kind of uh, very strong labor market we want with high participation, it's going to take a long expansion. We can see that participation is moving only very slowly. And to get a long expansion, we're going to need price stability. And so in, in a way... High inflation is, is, a, is a severe threat to the achievement of maximum employment and to achieving a long expansion that can give us that. All right, but all this, should it impact how you think about the markets and investing? Joining us now is CIC Wealth Executive Vice President Malcolm Etheridge, who also brought along a few stock picks just for you. We'll get to those in a minute, Malcolm. Good morning and welcome back. Uh, but first, morning, a lot of talk about inflation. That CPI number could come in red hot today, nearly 7%. That's extreme. Does that change the macro way in which you think about the markets? So what's interesting about the comments by uh, Chair Powell and also that 7.1 number we're talking about is we were just looking what the end of 2021 at something like 4 million or so uh, early retirees, uh, you know, by by the government's uh, standard early retirees. And so that number is actually coupled with high, super high inflation. And so you have a number of people who are retiring early coming out into a market where uh, they're needing to achieve something like 7% plus on their uh, portfolio to do better than what the market, uh, do better what in, uh, than what inflation currently is. And so that measly now, measly, we thought it was a big deal back last year when they announced it, but that 5.9% uh, cost of living adjustment that Social Security retirees received is now looking awful, uh, awful small if you compare that to the number. And then Chair Powell is now on TV yesterday talking about the fact that they expect it to be an extended period of time before things come back in alignment. And that that suddenly becomes a little bit scary if I'm a person who either is planning for retirement or has already retired uh, recently. Yeah, because what inflation does, it just decreases your buying power, in some cases brutally so. Have you seen the price of food or meat or whatever lately? I mean, it is very high. All right, let's move on, Malcolm, and let's get some stock picks, maybe help the retirees out there make a little money in their golden years. Uh, PayPal, PayPal, a name that you love. I know you've been trimming some of your, your bigger tech, but PayPal, I guess you consider more of a fintech than a tech tech? <laughs> Well, so PayPal is is uh, sort of just an uh, acquisition story this time, at least. We expect PayPal to, to, to put its $5 billion worth of expected free cash uh, to work later this year, right? They've done a pretty decent job of expanding into Japanese markets last year. We expect them to continue to push into the Asian markets this year. I think they've identified a couple of targets in even Indonesia. Um, And so we just see PayPal with all of its inorganic growth and all of the firepower that it has sitting on the sidelines right now uh, as a great way to you know, you, to buy your way into some inorganic growth. Um, they they have been aggressively growing last year. We expect them to keep it up this year. Um, and so that's really what it is. It's nothing super fancy thematically about that name. Yeah, the stock is down recently, but I imagine you, you like that because you want to own stocks cheaper and sell them higher. All Precisely. right. There's a town in the upper peninsula of Michigan called Iron Mountain, home of the only ski jumps, by the way, in the United States. I saw your pick, but that's not it. This is Iron Mountain, the document storage company. IRM, I think, is the ticker there, Malcolm. Correct me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong. What makes that stock attractive to you? 
Yeah. So when I talk about retirees needing income, right, what makes this one so interesting is it serves as both a growth and an income play, right? So Iron Mountain has, uh, it's returned something like 50% last year, 2021, uh, to its shareholders, and then also kicks off something like a 5% dividend. So if I am a person who's needing income, uh, it's a perfect way to play that REIT space that traditionally, you know, uh, creates decent income for for shareholders, but it doesn't necessarily take you on the same wild ride that a lot of the REITs do because it all it's basically a data storage uh, facility, data storage management company with uh, 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 the the dividend on top of it. Yeah, it is a it is a REIT. It is a name that we are watching. Iron Mountain and PayPal, two new names. We love it. Malcolm Etheridge, thank you. Have a happy New Year, Mal- Malcolm. We'll see you in a few days. Thank you very much. See you. All right, on deck. As investors gear up for this morning's big inflation data, we're going to check in with our retail guru, Stacey Whitlitz, on which stores and maybe which stocks are ready to shine. Plus, Biogen just cannot catch a break. Shares down again sharply this morning. We'll tell you why. Later, the on again, off again. Tie up talks between Dish and DirecTV. We've got a lot more to do. Futures, they're a couple of ticks higher. Get another coffee. We'll see you on the other side of this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. All right, welcome or welcome back. After a stellar Christmas comes the January blues for not only many of us, but for many retailers as well. And despite a strong consumer, many are facing the same problems, higher costs and a lack of staff. So let's talk about who is getting it right. Stacey Whitlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors, with us once again. Stacey, I haven't seen you. Happy New Year. Good to have you back on. Your latest newsletter was called Crawl or Mall, but it's not M-A-L-L. It's M-A-U-L. That doesn't sound good. Who may get mauled at the mall? Go to the stores around here. And you either see no workers or very few or the same people who apparently are putting in seven day weeks. Yeah, Brian, you've seen, you know, we just had um, an investor conference that was virtual and we heard from some companies like Bath and Body Works. We heard from a company called Torrid talking about this January lull. So there's this usually semi-annual clearance sale at Bath and Body Works. And it just wasn't what they expected. So, you know, you have to consider, remember those child tax credits are behind us. We were pumping in $16 billion a month in those tax credits, which is about half of Walmart U.S. on an annualized basis. That stuff is over here. 
Um, you also heard companies like a Lululemon talk about the fact that they just couldn't sell stuff. They couldn't meet demand because they had no people and they had shortened hours. I think for Lulu, that's absolutely legitimate. If you were in the mall and looked at lines of 40 people just standing around trying to buy something, for some of these names, there's a buying opportunity. I think Lulu is one of them. Yeah, we've heard, Stacey, so much about the massive buying of gift cards over the holidays, which that's good. That money will eventually get spent, but you've got to go to a store in some case. You can buy online. People like to buy clothes in stores, and the stores are messy, or there's nobody there, or you just, to your point, there's 20 people in line. Are there companies or stores or retailers that are able to get people that are looking better, doing it better? Who's on your, your nice list? Yeah, so um, there are a lot of companies this year that are using um, buy a gift card during December and we'll give you a gift card for 20 bucks to get you back into the store in January. So Aries doing that really well. That's AEO. They had a positive pre-announcement the other day. Um, I would say Abercrombie is another company that talked about the fact that they had a shortage of inventory, so couldn't sell to where demand was. And what I saw in stores, that again is legitimate. People in the stores are just like, we don't have anything. And don't forget, there's this transition period in January where a new product comes in and it just hasn't happened. Stuff is showing up late. So I think for some of these stocks that have been re-rated, it is a legitimate demand problem. So that's an AEO, an ANF. And a Lulu. And also, I think you have to think about pricing power as we talk about cost increases. You want to stick with those brands who really can raise prices six to 10%, because that's what we're going to see next year. And that's, you know, throw in a Nike there. Nike, what about on the European side? Any, should we just own an LVMH and let it roll? Yeah, you know, what I saw is, again, same thing in Europe. It was particularly in luxury, the lines. I mean, there were like 40 people waiting to buy an LVMH bag. That could be two hours sitting in a store. You know, Montclair wasn't even letting people in stores. They had signs saying there's a glitch, a technical glitch. The glitch was they had no salespeople. So, you know, I think you can still own LVMH here. Caring has more newness than I've seen in years. That's Gucci. Um, Montclair, I think, had some issues selling stuff because of the complete lack of staff. Um, so, And also JD Sports, footwear, Nike, one of their biggest suppliers. They have the buying yeah. power globally. They're 40% in the U.S., 40% in Europe. They just raise guidance, margins intact, full price selling intact. So that's kind of my bucket list for 2022. Well, high-end, high-touch, and they want to have high service. And when you don't have people, it makes it tougher but we are watching some of those names, including those that are still in the mall and still fighting the good fight. Stacy Woodlitz, crawl or mall? Always love seeing you, Stacy. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thank you. All right. Still on deck. Your top trending stories, including Facebook employees taking their own company down a notch or 30 notches. Plus, it wouldn't be America without a potato chip for every football fan. We'll explain when Worldwide Exchange returns, futures, they're higher. And we're back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. 
I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back. Time now for your big money movers and the three key stocks that we are focused right on in the pre-market. Stock number one, Biogen sinking. This after Medicare officials say they would only cover the company's controversial Alzheimer's drug Aduhelm on the condition that patients are in clinical trials or have early stage symptoms. That would restrict access to the first Alzheimer's therapy approved in decades by the FDA. Now, the government will allow public comment on that proposal for 30 days. The agency will announce that final call by April 11th, but investors not wasting any time. They sold on that news. Stock number two, Ally Financial. Shares going the other way. They are higher. That after the company's board approved a 20% dividend hike and $2 billion share buyback. And stock number three, DD Global. Sources telling the Financial Times that the Chinese ride-hailing company has begun informal talks about its upcoming Hong Kong IPO with one major DD investor saying the new listing will offer U.S. shareholders a one-for-one swap with new Hong Kong shares. Remember, DD forced essentially by the Chinese government to delist its stock from New York into Hong Kong. All right, let's get a check down some of this morning's other top headlines, including the very latest in the Novak Djokovic saga down in Australia. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. We start this morning with the January 6th Select Committee that subpoenaed documents and testimony from two strategists who are said to have communicated with Donald Trump Jr. about the rally that preceded the Capitol attack. The panel also subpoenaed former White House official Ross Worthington, who it believes helped draft the speech that former President Trump gave at that event on the Ellipse. Novak Djokovic admits he knew he tested positive for COVID-19 when he attended a newspaper interview and photo shoot at his tennis center in Serbia last month. The tennis star made the admission in a lengthy statement posted to his Instagram in an effort to clarify, quote, ongoing misinformation about why he repeatedly appeared without a mask at public events after he believed he had been exposed to the virus. And finally, the Daniel Craig era of James Bond ended with a record-setting bang. Apparently there was another one for the, the most high explosive in one shot. The record was for 65 kilograms of high explosive in one shot. We had 140 in our one. The Guinness Book of World Records has confirmed that No Time to Die's massive final explosion was the biggest ever captured in one shot. As the movie special effects coordinator just mentioned, the previous record was for 65 kilograms of high explosive. This one used 140 kilograms. Can you imagine, Brian, just the pressure on just in one take? they got to get this right. Makes me want to watch the movie. That's definitely on my list. I haven't yet, but hope to. Yeah, I don't know the metric system, but that sounds like a lot, and it looked like a lot. And I guess when they say, are you going out with a bang? You'd be like, yeah, we're going out with a bang, but we got one shot. Yep. <laughs> we screw it up. To do it. <laughs> don't mess that one up. <laughs> Francis Rivera, thank you very much.
Sure thing. All right. Now, some of the other top trending stories out there. We'll try to top that. Savannah now is back. We'll talk about some bad news for Facebook, yet another NFT platform, and some sporty Super Bowl spuds. Silvana, I got that out somehow. <laughs> Lay did, out the right. top trending stories for us on this. What is it? Wednesday? It's Wednesday. Yes, it is Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Glassdoor releasing its annual best places to work list, which shows Facebook parent meta platforms dropping 36 spots compared to last year. After a year of public relations crises, employees on Glassdoor described unwanted public scrutiny and lack of action from leadership. Glassdoor naming NVIDIA as the top place to work, followed by HubSpot and consulting company Bain. Another day, another NFT platform. The Associated Press is the latest company to announce it will be starting a marketplace to sell NFTs of its photojournalist work. The news outlet saying its system will be environmentally friendly. The AP's first collection will launch January 31st. And Lay's is selling chips made from potatoes that were grown with dirt from 29 different NFL stadiums. To mark the company's return to Super Bowl advertising after a 17-year hiatus, the company is producing 200 Lay's Golden Grounds bags per NFL team. The team name on the bag does correspond to the stadium where the soil was harvested. The bags won't be available in store, but are being launched in a sweepstakes across social media. Brian, uh, I think there's going to be some pretty excited football fans. Chips grown with <laughs> dirt from NFL. What about yeah. if, what if it's AstroTurf? Is that like the equivalent of Soylent? Like, how does that work? Is it like a synthetic chip? Probably, yeah. It sounds that that doesn't sound too good, but we'll see. No, it sounds terrible, but <laughs> yeah. uh, interesting concept. And by yeah. the way, we talked about it, so the marketing strategy worked. Silvana Hanau, exactly. thank you very much. You got it. See you soon. All right. All right, we've got a lot more to do. Don't you go anywhere. We had to break. Your morning RBI is going to put the worldwide and worldwide exchange, and we will show you some of the hottest countries to invest in in the world right now. Hint, it's not us. And if you haven't already, a gentle nudge. Follow our podcast. You miss the show every day or just want to sleep. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcasting apps. We're back after this. Get ready for a white-hot read on inflation. Just how much have your costs really gone up? We're going to find out this morning. Cryptos, they've been going down and looking for some kind of relief. Will the bulls dive back in? Will tightening Fed policy further hammer the digital assets? And the story that needs to be talked about more, just why are members of Congress still allowed to trade stocks? Steps being proposed to rein in their controversial trading practices. It is Wednesday, January 12th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, welcome or welcome back, and good Wednesday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are just about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures, they are mildly in the green. Not a big jump, but we are seeing futures higher across the board, maybe a tenth of 1%. Don't make too much of it, but... We had a nice rally yesterday, even with the Fed chair coming out and warning about inflation. We'll see if that buying can carry through. There's also been a lot of buying in oil lately. In fact, crude oil, it is back above 80 bucks a barrel. Got a lot of reasons. Libya was shut down. They're coming back online. Extreme cold actually hampering pipelines. 
OPEC managing supply, WTI crude at 81 and a half bucks. Now, that bounce back in crude, the commodity has provided a big 2022 so far for some very big energy names. Stocks like Schlumberger, Hess, Occidental Petroleum, Halliburton, APA, and Phillips 66. I didn't mention those names randomly. Those six companies are six of the top seven performing stocks in the S&P 500, along with Discovery Networks. Now, so far, the worst performer of those six is up just under 19%. So six of the top seven this year are soaring in the S&P, and they are oil and gas names. There you go. All right, in the meantime, let's get now to some of this morning's other top stories. Dish and DirecTV are reportedly holding talks, again, of a potential deal. According to the New York Post, talks are being pushed by TPG Capital, which bought 30% of DirecTV from AT&T in a deal last February. The Post says Dish Chairman Charlie Ergen seems to be dragging out a final deal as he demands significant voting rights and a say in key decisions at the combined company. Shares of Dish are up on the news. The company's attempted a merger nearly 20 years ago, but were stopped over antitrust concerns and weighed the idea as recently as two years ago before being quietly warned about the deal by the Justice Department. A judge is allowing the Federal Trade Commission's latest lawsuit against Facebook's parent company Meta to move forward. The move allows the agency to try to prove its claim that Meta has brought competitors in order to maintain illegal monopolies in a given space and is pushing for its Instagram and WhatsApp divisions to be spun off of Facebook. Meta, of course, has dismissed the FTC's claim, calling it weak. And Pfizer reportedly cutting its U.S. sales staff, that according to Reuters. If true, the move would stem from expectations that doctors and other healthcare providers will want to hold fewer face-to-face meetings with sales rep once the pandemic ends. Reuters says the company did not specify how many jobs that might be cut. The apparent move comes as Pfizer expected to announce more than $80 billion in revenue for last year. That would be a record, of course, on the back of strong sales of its COVID vaccine. Well, let's talk about cryptos now because Bitcoin, thankfully, according to hodlers, appears to be stabilizing a bit. It is back above 42000 although it briefly broke through a support level at 40000 on Monday. Since hitting that all-time high of about 69000 back in November, Bitcoin is down more than 35%. The landscape looks a little tougher for the market as the Fed gets set to start raising rates and shrink its balance sheet. Speculative assets like cryptocurrencies have benefited from ultra-low rates and excess liquidity. So where do we go from here? Let's talk about this more now with Dominic Dantes, market analyst at Coindex. Dominic, welcome to the program. Um, Two ways to look at this, which is inflation is going to hit a lot of assets or things like Bitcoin and other cryptos are exactly the cure for inflation because they kind of operate outside the traditional monetary policy world. How should we view it? It's definitely a risk asset. Um, It's been moving a lot like equities and traditional markets. You know, when equities are selling off, Bitcoin tends to pull back as well. And recently, we saw in the correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P 500 rise towards a one-year high. So there has definitely been some co-movement there. And I think as the asset matures and becomes more, you know, uh, accepted across traditional investors, um, it's going to be reacting to macro risk and macro uh, headlines over the, over, the, over the long term. So we're definitely seeing those correlations play out. 
We've got a chart up right now. I don't know if you probably can't see it because, you know, you're talking on television right now. But I can see it because I have two TVs. And it is an extreme fear and extreme fear and extreme greed index. Zero to 100. Hundreds like just everybody's partying, pouring champagne over each other. Zero is extreme fear. We look like we're getting close to zero. What is this based on and how do we measure sort of these two extremes? Yeah, so it's a sentiment indicator. It's similar to like the CNN fear and greed index that we use for traditional equities. And it just shows the overall sentiment from bearish to bullish among crypto investors. So right now it's heading towards the low that we saw back in July. And if you remember uh, earlier last year, we had that crypto sell off. Um, that's when it kind of started to stabilize, when there was extreme fear in the market. But it's not a sure buy signal, right? These indicators can remain low for some time as the market sort of consolidates and the buyers slowly start to step back in as risks start to uh, be discounted. So I think we're going to see some of that, some sideways movement, some consolidation. But if you look at drawdowns in the crypto market, 20% to 30% is pretty normal. It's not like the equity market. These are highly volatile instruments. Yeah. Um, and drawdowns can exceed you know, 40% to 80%, like what we saw in 2018. So you know, the trend is your friend, and the trend right now is pretty weak. We've been seeing lower price highs since that all-time high back in November. So the sellers are very much in control, and we haven't seen some sure signs of capitulation. So we're definitely watching those signals very carefully. Yeah, but, you know, you are a technician by training and you rightfully point out that Bitcoin, I mean, it's had 80 percent drawdowns. I mean, you've got to have a thick skin or a strong stomach to have invested in this. If you held on, you're probably driving a Ferrari right now, if that's what you want, by the way. (laughs) But as a technician, as a technician, we're not looking at GE stock that's been around for 100 years. How much does Bitcoin and maybe some of the other main cryptos align with more traditional technical analysis right now? It's very good. You know, as a technician coming into this brand new market, it's sentiment driven, all right? And it tends to follow trends, support lines, resistance lines very well. Um, Traditional markets have a lot of influences. And I think over time, over the years, we've seen high frequency trading and a lot of these sort of, um, you know, ancillary events impact the market. With crypto, it's very sentiment. There's a lot of technical traders. So those levels tend to be respected. However, you know, recently, we've been seeing oversold conditions on the charts. And, and there's been a delay in, in price movement from that. Um, and I think over time, you know, some of these technical indicators, as you get more quant-driven hedge funds coming into this place, um, it kind of creates a lot of noise. So you've got to distract yourself from that noise and look at things like moving averages, longer-term indicators, because the long-term trend is still very much positive, um, despite the short-term swings. Yeah. So uh, it's very exciting for a technician. And very exciting for those holding it and powering up when the charts turn. Dominic Dante's at Coindesk. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Take care. All right. Coming up. Oh, thank you. All right. Coming up. Fed members facing fallout over their stock trading. Could members of Congress be next? Elon Moy is here laying out the new legislation to crack down on these clear conflicts of interest. But as we head to break, some of your other top headlines on this Wednesday morning. City is exiting its Mexican consumer business. The bank looking to overhaul its overall strategy. The move marking an end to its 20-year retail presence in Mexico was was its last international consumer business. The World Bank slashing its global growth forecast for the next two years, citing efforts 
by more countries to begin winding down their fiscal and monetary policy support programs. It is also warning that rising inflation, rising debt, and income inequality could hinder the recovery in emerging and developing economies. And ExxonMobil has reportedly begun the sale of some of its Midwestern natural gas properties. That, according to Reuters, it would be small. Properties stretch across 27,000 acres in the Appalachian Basin of Ohio. It is part of the Exxon's ongoing bid to cut some U.S. assets not seen as core to its business. We're back on Worldwide Exchange right after this. There is uh, clearly, I believe, from the evidence, insider trading that takes place by members of Congress, particularly members of various influential committees committees that will be uh, changing legislation. I think it's disgraceful myself. That was former St. Louis Fed President Bill Poole right here on Worldwide Exchange yesterday morning, not holding back on the topic of members of Congress trading stocks. Members of the Fed face scrutiny and even step down over pretty much the same thing. But there is some bipartisan support brewing on Capitol Hill for rules to alter Congress's ability to invest and trade while sitting members of Congress. Alon Moy joining us now with more. And Alon, those comments there from Bill Poole obviously striking a chord of what I've seen this does appear to be one of maybe the few real bipartisan things that people can agree on. Yeah, Brian, we're hearing this call from progressives, conservatives and moderates. There is growing momentum on Capitol Hill for new rules to prevent members of Congress from owning and trading stocks. This week, Democratic Senator John Ossoff of Georgia is planning to introduce a bill that would require lawmakers, their spouses and dependents to put their assets in a blind trust while they are in office. Now, this is something he campaigned on and Ossoff said he's already done it himself. His net worth is estimated between two and eight million dollars. Now, his bill mirrors an existing proposal in the House called the Trust in Congress Act. That's led by Texas Republican Chip Roy and Virginia Democrat Abigail Spanberger. She told me that this whole thing started because they were both upset over reports of lawmakers profiting from trades in healthcare and pharmaceutical stocks just as COVID was crushing the country. It's about good governance. It's about accountability, but it's also about ensuring that the perception and the ability of our constituents to trust us is much easier because they don't have to wonder about our motivations. We've removed that room for doubt. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has dismissed this idea, though, despite criticism over trades executed by her husband, venture capitalist and investor Paul Pelosi, just last year. But I can confirm that House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy is in favor of this. So, Brian, there could be some big changes, this being just one of them, if Republicans take the House in November. Back to you. Well, this has become such a thing that there's actually, I think, like stock indexes that track the performance and trades of some members of Congress. And we're not picking on the House leader, but her husband is one of the more active out there. And I think what he exercised a couple of thousand call options on Google in November ahead of a House Judiciary Committee made like three million dollars on the trade. There's a big difference between owning a stock, you know, buying it for your kids and your grandkids and just sitting on it forever and actively trading. Maybe the answer here is somewhere in the middle, Alon. I'm sure a lot of our longtime viewers know this. We can't own stocks. You and I, we're not trading equities. 
Right. So a couple of things. So first of all, Pelosi's argument is that she herself does not own any stock. This is all being done by her husband. But that's why some of these uh, bills that we're hearing talked about, you know, would cover not just the member, but also their spouses and dependents as well. The existing law that covers uh, sort of the trading and financial transactions of members of Congress is about 10 years old, and it prohibits insider trading specifically. But a lot of groups say, watchdog groups say, that that's a really high bar to prove. And even if you're not insider trading, there's still at least the appearance of a conflict of interest that can erode the trust that constituents have in whether or not their lawmakers are actually you know, voting and acting with uh, their folks back home in mind, or whether they're actually trying to act with their own personal gain in mind. So there are some talk on Capitol Hill about ways to put that in a blind trust, other ways to limit trading, but all of it amounts to this question around, you know, how much influence do members of Congress have and how much influence are they welding on their own behalf or on the behalf of constituents? Yeah, well, Bill Poole, obviously, St. Louis Fed, his own opinion saying maybe a little bit too much. When you got to have indexes and websites devoted to this, Maybe it's gone too far. Alon Moy, big topic. No doubt we are not done talking about it, but we are for now. Alon, have a great day. Talk to you soon. All right, on deck. Your morning RBI and where in the world the best performing stock markets are. Hint, not here in America. Plus, Truist's Keith Lerner lays out the trading day ahead as we await some key inflation data. And a programming note. Catch the 200th episode of American Greed Featuring the trial of former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes. That is tonight, 10 p.m., right here on CNBC. We'll be back right after this. Time now for your morning RBI. And let's get random but interesting today on putting the worldwide and worldwide exchange because this show goes out all over the globe. And we want everyone out there to know that not only do we care, I mean, we care about you, but we're also looking at them as well. And while our markets have had a pretty good run here over the past six months, the S&P 500 is up about 8%, not bad. Some of the real money has been made by investing overseas. And to show you it is truly a global world, we're going to rank the five best country-specific ETFs that are out there with any real volume. There may be some that are smaller, less liquid, but these are the ones with some real action behind them. So here we go. Worldwide exchange style, counting you down five to one. Top five global market ETFs over the past this month, six months. Number five, Egypt, up just under 10%. The Saudi ETF, KSA, up 11.3%. Israel, EIS, 12.5% gain in six months. The UAE, up 15.2%. And that 0.2 matters because the top global market ETF over the past six months, congratulations to Indonesia. The iShares Indonesia ETF, ticker EIDO, is up 15.3% in that time. Keep in mind, this is a bank-heavy investment. The two top holdings in that ETF are 35% of the entire one. They're both banks. So if you want to invest in Indonesian banks, there's the way to go. So Indonesia taking the top spot by one-tenth of 1% over the UAE ETFs. People making bank all around the world, random but interesting in any language. All right, let's bring it back home now to our markets here. Keith Lerner is the co-chief investment officer at Truist Advisory Services, and he is always one for some good RBI-like data. In fact, I've stolen data from him to use in our RBI, including, Keith, this one from your latest note. Stocks have risen an average annualized rate of 9% 
during 12 Fed rate hike cycles since the 1950s and showed positive returns in 11 of those times. The one exception, the 1972 to 1974 period. A lot of oil issues going on back then. Keith, welcome back. Are you that confident we can make it, what, 12 of 13? Well, first, Brian, great to be with you. Since it's still early in the new year, I think I could still say Happy New Year. Great to be back with you on the show. Thank you. And uh, to answer your question uh, directly, we do think that we will um, have a positive year this year. Uh, If we think about Fed rate hikes in general, the reason why the market historically has done somewhat well is because it's typically paired with a healthy economy, right? Why is the Fed raising rates? Is because the economy is on solid footing and we don't need that crisis uh, type stimulus that we had before. Our overall view this year though, Brian, is positive yet realistic. The realistic side is that gains moderate, especially as we have this transition with the Fed. And the other thing that we've, we know from history is after we have really shallow pullback years like last year, we tend to have uh, more normal pullbacks uh, and that's what we expect this year, especially with this Fed transition, with the debate, are we, uh, is the Fed moving too fast or too slow? Your market navigators got your own kind of dot plots like the Fed. You, you mark stuff red or green, red, less attractive, green, more attractive. You seem more mm-hmm. attractive on U.S. equities, particularly small caps. What makes small caps so attractive to you? Because they've had a miserable run the last six months or so, Keith. Yeah, that's right. Well, the first thing on the U.S., um, we've been longstanding uh, bulls on the U.S. in general. We just think that uh, we have high-quality companies. The economy is more on solid footing. That said, so we're seeing, um, you, know, you know, coming into this year, some of these other areas have, are, are oversold. And within the U.S., you know, small caps in particular had a big run early on last year after the, um, after the elections, after more stimulus came through. And then they really just consolidated quite a bit. So this year, with, with small caps now trading at a 20-year relative low on a valuation basis, so really the lowest relative to large caps since around 2000, and we still think the economy is going to grow above trend, so that should be supportive of small caps. One distinction I want to make, Brian, a lot of people focus on the Russell uh, 2000. We're focused more on the S&P 600, which has more of a cyclical bias and a little bit of more or less of those speculative growth names, which we think will be more challenged during this as we move past this max okay. liquidity from the Fed. Okay, we're going to watch the SML, that small cap 600 as well. By the way, easier is 1,400 fewer stocks, Keith, so less to keep track of. Also in your navigator, you like energy. Now, oil and gas stocks, top of the show, we pointed out six of the top seven in the S&P 500 this year are oil and gas names up about 20% on average. I don't think that kind of return can continue. What do you think, and are you still bullish on energy even after this heck of a run we've had in the last 10 days? Yeah, no doubt. Um, We've been bullish on the energy sector and have had it as an overweight uh, for most of the last year. And I know it's an area that you focus on quite a bit. So, yes, a lot of these areas, I mean, we're up about 10 percent for the sector as a whole already this year. But, Brian, that said, even though we're probably due for some type of consolidation, we still think there's upside. I'm going to give you another RBI stat, hopefully, that may surprise you. Over the last three years, even with the big run in energy over the last uh, year, the S&P energy sector is trailing the S&P by 78%. That just shows how hard it was Ooh. hit before. And as we see energy stay firm and the economy do well, we think energy is poised to outperform this year. That is an RBI, but that is an ugly one. Still, we'll see if it turns around. Keith Lerner, a truest, always with the great data. Great having you on the program, Keith. Have a great day. Thank you very much. And, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. But 
Guess what? We're doing 10 the hard way today. I will see you all tonight, 5 p.m. on Fast Money. Be sure to tune in. In the meantime, Squawk and the gang picking up everything next. Have a great day. I'll see you in 11 hours. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.